And could you turn please to uh, 1 Peter, to the passage that Karina read to us. This is the second in the series, and it's page 1221. Those of you who are in Connect Groups, we're looking at this in Connect Groups. The sermons are all on podcasts, so you can listen to them online as well. And so if there are things that you missed, please do have a look on there. So 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, chapter 1, and then moving into chapter 2. I was driving on holiday one year in England many years ago and it was summer and it was beautiful and the sun was shining and it was the gorgeous English countryside and there I was driving into the West Country to go and meet with some friends and we were going on holiday and the window was down and the sound system in the car was pumped up really, really loud. The sea was glistening in the distance and I had one of those moments. I had one of those moments of sheer exuberance. That sense of life, that I was alive, and that life was full of all kinds of possibilities and opportunities, and it was an extraordinary moment. I almost sang. And I think you get something of that kind of sense of exhilaration in Peter's letter. Look at how he starts off in chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has given us new birth. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, then what's happening is that God has given you a new life. And he finds that extraordinary. He goes on in verse 8 and says that you are filled with a, a glorious and inexpressible Expressible joy. You've been given new birth into a living hope. There's a glorious and inexpressible joy as you're receiving, verse 9, the salvation of your souls. That is the whole of your life, everything. God is taking this new life and in every area of your life. That is the arena where he is at work. Bringing to completion that new life that he's given to you. So he's at work in your work, he's at work in your home place, he's at work in your disappointments, he's at work in everything, building that salvation and bringing it to completion. And then over there in verse 17, he says, and you call on God as Father, Father. When God does a work in your life of bringing you into that new life, He brings you into a new relationship with himself. You now have a father-son relationship with God. And that's not sexist. What it means is this. God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. Jesus is the son who calls to his father, Father, And because we are in relationship with Jesus Christ, because we have been given new life, in that new life, we are brought into the same relationship that Jesus has with the Father. God loves you as much as he loves Jesus with the same intensity, with the same desire, with the same commitment, with the same sense of purpose, with the same depth. Isn't that extraordinary? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's given us new hope into, new birth into a living hope through the resurrection 
of Jesus Christ from the dead. Is it any wonder that he goes on to say that you have tasted that the Lord is good? Chapter 2 and verse 3, you have tasted that the Lord is good. Christianity is not not just about assenting to a series of things that we say that we believe. It's about an experience of God, which, by the way, is bigger than emotion, but it's not less than that. You know, when I was born, that was a major experience in my life. (laughs) I don't remember it, but it was an experience. And that has led to experiences. When you are brought into this new birth, you are brought into an experience with God where there is now a new relationship. You have a new life. He becomes your father. He loves you with the same intensity and the same depth that he loves Jesus I remember the first time I realized that. Not not as something to read in a book, as if it's written about somebody else, describing somebody else's experience. But when he came home to me in reality, that in Christ, God was my Father. And so as followers of Jesus, we can pray, Father, you are my Father. You love me. You care about me. You care about me with the same passion intensity that you cared about your son when he was here on earth. And does that mean that everything's going to go right? No, because it didn't go right for Jesus, did it? But did that mean that God loved him any less? Absolutely not. Is it any wonder that there is that sense of exhilaration in Peter's letter? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never fade or perish. Exhilaration. Well, this new life, what does it look like? Peter describes three characteristics of this new life. Number one, it's countercultural. In verse 14, he says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. Once you were people in Willoughby. That defined your life, or people in Northbridge, or people in Australia, or wherever it is. You were defined by all kinds of things, by your education, by where you lived, by the parents that you had, by the children you have. But now, everything has changed. Now, Living here in Willoughby is to live as an alien and stranger. That was the language we looked at last week, and it's there again in verse 17. Live out your time as foreigners. We are aliens in Willoughby. Listen to the podcast from last week. First characteristic of the Christian life, this new life, is that it's countercultural. It goes against the flow. Secondly, it's characterized by holiness. Verse 15 of chapter 1. Just as he that is God who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it's written, be holy because I am holy. There are at least two scary things in that expression there under. 
First of all, for some of us, holiness is something weird. It's to do with candles. It's to do with special people, usually men, dressed up in strange dresses. It's about weirdness. It's about something that's intangible. The other thing that's scary about it is that this is God is speaking, and he says, I'm holy, so you be holy like me. That's something, isn't it? So what does he mean? To be holy means to imitate God, to imitate his character, to reflect that Reflect what he is like. Let me, let me put it to you like this. I've used this kind of illustration before, but I've, I want to do it in a slightly different way. Imagine that God decided he was going to live as you. Live your life. That is, your genes, your parents, your level of intellect, your circumstances, your children or parents, your job, Everything about you. But he's living it as you. He's not living it as God. Okay, so just strip away the God can do anything, the omnipotence, the omniscience, all that kind of stuff about God, you know, the big stuff we can't do. He's living it as you. How would he live your life? How would he do parenting? How would he do financial decisions that you make? How would he do decisions about how you use your time? How would you use your decisions about your leisure time and your emotional time? How would he live your life if he were you? He would live it in holiness. We are to reflect the character of God in the way that we live. And notice, do you notice what the text says? Have a look at it. It's there in verse 16, in all that you do, all means all, it means everything. It's not in what you do on Sundays when you come to church. It's not about when you're being particularly spiritual and you're reading your Bible or you're praying. It's in all that you do. So that includes the times when you go shopping. It includes the times with, you, with your family. It includes those awkward times when you have difficult conversations with your boss or your colleagues. In everything, be holy in all that you do. Every area of our life is to reflect our Father Characterize then this new life by being non-conforming, counter-cultural, by holiness and by a deep love. Verse 22, chapter 1, verse 22. Now that you have purified yourself by obeying, obeying the truth. What, what does that mean? It means now you've heard the message about Jesus and responded to it. You've heard the message about you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. He died for you and he was raised again for you so that you can have new life and you come in repentance and faith and receive that message that anybody who comes to Jesus will be given that new life. You've done that. That's what he means when he says that you've obeyed the truth. But look at how he goes on. So that you have sincere love from each, for each other. 
And then love one another deeply from the heart. When you become a follower of Jesus, then one of the things that happens is you become an alien in Willoughby. <laughs> a stranger. You no longer live the Willoughby way. Your life is moving in a completely different direction. And sometimes the challenges of that and the costs of that will be alarmingly high, or at least they'll seem like that. It can be uncomfortable to be going against the flow in Willoughby. Trust me. You know it's true, don't you? Discipleship, by the way, has a cost. Did you notice that? You cannot live a life going against the flow in Willoughby without at some point it costing you. I sat next to a Nigerian bishop some years ago. He was from northern Nigeria. And uh, where he is in northern Nigeria, and, and since I met him, the most awful things have happened to him and his family. In that area of northern Nigeria, if you simply identify as a Christian by doing something as simple as going to church, you risk your life. There is no risk to us in coming to church except to other priorities that we may have about meeting together with God's people. Is that? Love one another deeply from the heart. When God brings you into a new relationship with himself, he brings you into a new community of people. You may be an alien in Willoughby. In fact, you are an alien in Willoughby, but you're at home now amongst this group of people, this community who are described by 1 Peter as God's people, the church, the community of people who are bound together by the deepest of bonds because they are united in Christ. You become part of that and that's your new family and your new home. And we are to love them deeply. So when he says love one another deeply, that's the one another he's talking about. He is not talking about loving your next door neighbor. Should you do that? Yes, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about loving your fellow believers in the local church deeply. And you can't do that without an active commitment to the people of God. You can't do it. You can't love people deeply at a distance. You can't love people if you have a Facebook friends kind of relationship with people. If you have an acquaintance level of relationship. If you drop in and out of that kind of relationship. To have that deep love, to express that deep love, and indeed to receive it, means investing heavily in our relationships with one another, spending time with one another, getting involved in one another's lives, making a commitment to be part of this new life. Three characteristics of the new life. It's countercultural. It's characterized by holiness, and it's characterized by deep love for God's people. And I've blown, I've blown it, haven't I? I've given you the, the kind of punchline. Those three things you could describe as discipleship. Often the Bible does talk about those things. They are the essence of discipleship, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Living a countercultural life. 
living a life that's committed in contrast to that, to holiness, and then deep love for one another. Here's the punchline. It's a choice, isn't it? You don't love one another deeply by simply hoping it will happen. You don't demonstrate holiness by simply sitting around and waiting for holiness to kick in. These are things that we have to do. Holiness is a choice. Discipleship is a choice. Loving deeply is a choice. So take this living counterculturally. He says we're not to conform, but instead we're to live as foreigners. So have a look with you at verse 13. Uh, Sorry, verse 14. As obedient children, don't conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. What Peter is saying there is, do you remember your your old life? Do you remember the, the things that drove you, that motivated you before you experienced that new life in Jesus Christ? Do you remember that? And by the way, you see it in those people around you. Don't make your old life and the life that you see exemplified in the lives of those around you, don't make that the template for your new life. Do not conform to what the hopes and dreams were that you had before. It's a choice. When I say it's a choice, by the way, I don't mean it's a kind of optional extra. I can do it or I can not do it. We are to do it, but you have to choose to do it. Secondly, holiness. Choosing to be holy in every area of life is a choice. Choosing to imitate God's character rather than Willoughby character is a choice that you make every day of your life. Or what about loving deeply? As I've said, it requires commitment. Deep love does not happen without committed involvement in the life of the community of God's people. It doesn't. And notice too, the deep love that's characterized by commitment to the community of people. Notice it's also, it also involves a ruthless determination to do away with anything that would wreck those relationships. A commitment, that's the positive side, a ruthless determination to do away with anything that would undermine those relationships. So chapter 2 and verse 1, Therefore rid yourself of all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander of every kind. What does the new life look like? It's characterized Countercultural living, going against the flow. It's, it's characterized by holiness and it's characterized by deep love for the people of God. Okay, how do you do it? Well, in verse 13, Peter basically tells us, he says in verse 13, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. He says, shift your focus. Shift your focus. Remind yourself that life in Willoughby is not that great. Really. In fact, any life that's lived outside of that new life that's ours in Christ, any life, is by comparison empty. Look at verse... 18 of chapter 1. We've been redeemed, rescued from 
the empty way of life handed down to us from our ancestors. I want you to imagine the first readers reading that. And some of them would be Jews, and they're thinking, well, what's been handed down to me is a way of life that is so venerable, it's so spiritual. And Peter says it's empty, because it's life outside of Christ. Unless your life has been made a new life through the birth that that God brings, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and even that ancient tradition that you got is empty. Supposing you're a Roman citizen, you're thinking about Roman culture and all that Rome has achieved, the expansion of the empire, the glory of Rome. And so you have a way of life that's been handed down to you. It's venerable. If you're a citizen in Rome, that's prestigious. Peter says it's an empty way of life. And what about us? What's been handed down to us? A way of life that comes through our culture. For many of us, that's the Western culture. It comes to us through Australia. For some of you, it's Chinese culture. It's empty. Will it be life? This life outside of Christ is empty. And Peter says, I want you to focus on that new life that you have and what's going to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. That's your focus. That's where you set your hope. That is where you set the direction of your living, not on will it be life. That's how you're to do it. There are other things, but that's what he talks about. Okay. Why should we live differently? Why should we live differently? Particularly because there's a cost involved of living differently. So why should we do it? Here are some reasons. Number one, because how we live our lives matters to God. Verse 17, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. We've been given this extraordinary life Real life. This new birth into a living hope. And that's important to God. It matters to Him that we should live out that life. And yes, God is our Father, but we are also answerable to Him. He's the impartial judge. So don't mess with God, Peter says. Don't play games with Him. He's done the most extraordinary thing. He's given you a life that's more precious than anything else that anybody has outside of Christ. Live it out. Because you've got to answer to him for your life, so don't conform. Choose holiness and love deeply. Why should we live this life? Because it matters to God, who is our Father. But we should also live it out because there is no other life that's worth living, to be honest. No other life that's worth living. These lives that God has given us are just extraordinary and amazing. There is nothing like them. Look at what he says. Um, we'll, come, we'll come to something in verse um, 18 in just a second. But The life that we've been given in Christ has enormous value and prestige so that there is nothing that compares to it. 
There is nothing so valuable as the life that we have in Christ. Now, now if you are a Roman citizen, this won't mean anything to anybody here, but just trust me on it. If you are a Roman citizen, that was prestigious. I'm a Roman citizen. If you didn't have citizenship and you were in a position to be able to buy it, it was very expensive. So if you paid lots of money, you said, this is really valuable. I paid lots of money for this. Roman citizenship. I'm a Roman citizen. No one has ever invested as much as God has into the life that he gives us in Christ. There is no other life that is more valuable or more prestigious. Verse 18, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world but was revealed in these last times for your sake through him who believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him so that your faith and hope are in God. There is nothing, nothing, nothing that compares with the value and the, the prestige of this new life in Christ. So why should you live like this? Because it's worth it. Why should you live this way? Because this life has an enduring splendor. Everything else passes away, but this life lasts forever. So why would you invest in something that's transient and passing away when you could be investing in something that endures forever? So verse 23, you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. And everything else, everything else in comparison is transient and inconsequential. Verse 24, all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. Some of you have been to Rome. Some of you have been to other parts of the ancient world and seen some of the wonders, the glory of the ancient world. Some of you read some of the literature. Some of you are aware of the enormous impact the Greek and Roman culture have had on our world. Some of you are familiar with Chinese culture and the huge impact and the venerable nature of that culture, the influence that it's had. The glories of Roman culture and civilization, Peter says, are inconsequential and transient compared with this enduring life that's been given to you in Jesus Christ. The glories of Western civilization, of Australian civilization, of Willoughby life are inconsequential and transient. Why invest your life in what doesn't endure, what is passing away, when you've been given a new life and you could live out that new life that is enduring and has an enduring splendor. The word of God, the word of the Lord endures forever and this is the word that was preached to you. That is when they heard the gospel and responded to the message of Jesus, they received life. 
To receive the gospel, to respond to Christ is to receive life. Invest in that life because nothing else lasts. So why should we live like this? Because it's a prestigious life, because it's an enduring life. So invest in what's la- la- what, what lasts. Invest in it. Live this kind of life because you're God's, God's building project. Verse, chapter 2 and verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone. So he's using the language of stones and buildings and so on. The stone that he's talking about is Jesus. You've come to him. That is, you've come to him in repentance and faith, and others are coming as well. They're turning to Christ. As you come to him, um, is rejected, but, but precious to God, you're also like living stones being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. When you come to Christ, God, God incorporates you into his building project. He's building, the language is temple. That sounds a little bit clinical to us, but think of it like that. That is the place of God's presence. That's the kind of language he's talking about. Think of it as God's home. God is building us into his home. His home is not a physical building. It's his people. And he's saying, these are my people. These are the people I identify with. These people are my home and you're being built into that but notice there's a part to play in this and so he says we are to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to god through jesus christ so he's using the language of temple and so on what does that mean what are these spiritual sacrifices that we're to offer living holy lives living holy lives Why should we live like this? Because we're part of God's building project. And as we reflect that holiness that is his character, we demonstrate that we are God's people and God's home. Why should we live like this? Because it's prestigious, because it's lasting, because we're God's building project. And fourthly, because we've been given a privileged role to play Chapter 2 and verse 9. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Our purpose is to declare this amazing God who has taken us from darkness and brought us into his gold his glorious light. These small, for many of us, inconsequential lives, these lives that are made up of family, of school, of shopping, of work, all those things in the way that we live by living holy lives, by the things that we say we are declaring this God who takes people like us and takes us out of darkness and brings them into light. This amazing God. There is no other role that compares with that. You, you could have a role as an ambassador of Willoughby and go and tell people of the glories of Willoughby. You could demonstrate that by the way that you live. You could be an Australian ambassador and say how wonderful life is in Australia. But nothing compares with that role. And that's the role that we are called to. That our lives and our words declare 
this amazing God. Nothing compares with that. There is no other role that comes anywhere close when we declare what this God does and has done in us. He's brought us out of darkness into his life. That's our task as we speak and as we live, that we speak of this God. So why should we live like this? Because it's the only life that's worth living. Why should we live like this? Because it's the only life that endures. Everything else is transient. Why should we live out this new life of not conforming and of holiness and deep love because we're God's building project and because by doing that, we fulfill our purpose to declare the praises of this amazing God who takes people from darkness to life. That's why we should do it. But there is a cost. You become an alien in Willoughby. You live as a stranger. Sometimes you may be aware of the cold shoulder, or more likely in Willoughby, you're just aware of the difference between your aspirations and the things that other people are giving their lives to and the good things that they're enjoying and you're heading in a different direction and suddenly sometimes you're aware of the cost. And so Willoughby says, you're not really one of us, are you? And sometimes you don't feel like one of Willoughby, of us. But God says the exact opposite. Chapter 2, verse 10. Once you were not a people, before you experienced this new birth in Christ, however wonderful life was for you in Willoughby or Northbridge or Roseville or wherever it is you live, just in case you thought I was being selective, you were not a people because you weren't my people, says God. But now, you are the people of God. Once you hadn't received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You may be a stranger and an alien here. There may be a cost in following Jesus here. There will be. But you're my people. And you've received mercy. Let me wrap this up. Three practical things I want to encourage you to do. Number one, seek out passionately and consistently anything and everything that will cause your new life in Christ to flourish. Chapter 2 and verse 3, 2. Chapter 2, verse 2. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you might grow up in your salvation. Babies are pretty focused and obsessed, aren't they? At, a, at an early stage. Main obsession for babies... Milk. They don't care about mortgages. They don't care about career paths. They don't care about what's on television. They don't care about sport. They just want milk. And if they don't get milk, when they want milk, they let you know. They're absolutely focused. They crave milk. Peter says, be like newborn babies. Desire, crave anything and everything that will enable your spiritual life to flourish. Number two, 
take a step of holiness every day. Um, I discovered something some time ago. It's really important. And um, God didn't want me to change the world. He wasn't calling me to change the world. In fact, he's not calling any of us to change the world because he's already done it through Jesus. And, but in any case, most of us are not going to make any major impact. I'm really sorry to tell you this, but most of you will not, most of us will not make any lasting impact that's noticeable to the people around us on the planet. We won't. God isn't asking you to do anything other than be yourself. That is, to be the new you that he has given this life to, to live out this new life. So take a step every day. Ask yourself the question every day. So as you go to the meeting tomorrow, as you go and have a conversation with somebody, as you're meeting perhaps with family this afternoon or next week, whatever you're doing, ask yourself the question, how can I take a step of holiness? Don't, don't look at the big things that might be coming up. They will come sooner or later. Just ask yourself the question, what's the next step? What's the next step? And take a step of holiness, reflecting the character of God in every area of your life. So number one, crave for what nourishes this new life in Christ. Number two, take a step of holiness every day. And number three, every day ask yourself the question, how does my life and how can my life better Declare the praises of him who's called me out of darkness into his glorious life, light. When I go into that meeting tomorrow at work, when I have that difficult conversation with a boss or a colleague, how can my life, my attitude, the things that I say, declare the glories of this wonderful God? How can the way I do my finances, how can the way I conduct my leisure time, how can that reflect, declare the glories of this God? And how can I speak of him? We do need to speak. We do need to speak about this God. So ask yourself the question tomorrow. Today I've got this, speak, thinking about tomorrow, I've got this meeting. Is, how, how can I witness to Christ? to God's work amongst us, in me, through Christ. Three things. Number one, crave whatever. Deeply seek those things that will nurture your spiritual life. Number two, take a step of holiness every day. And number three, ask yourself, how can I declare today the glories of this God who has taken me out of darkness into his wonderful light, who's shown me mercy, who's taken me from being not a people to being part of the people of God. Let's pray. Father, it is the most extraordinary thing that you've done for us in Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has given us new birth, new birth, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Father, please help us to live that life out 
to your praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.